The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin with stocks searching for direction as the rate shock puts the squeeze on the global equity markets. That higher-for-longer mentality also raising the odds the Fed is about to veer off of its soft landing runway. We debate what's coming up next. Also, $100 crude looking less likely as recession fears hit demand and prices. We head out to Abu Dhabi for the very latest. Plus, more ripple effects from the UAW strikes. Now in the third week, what Ford and GM just did that's raising the stakes. And then later in the show, why Instagram users in Europe, they may have to pay up for some premium features. It is Tuesday, October the 3rd, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start this day. As always, we kick off the hour with a check on U.S. stock futures after a mixed Monday for the markets. I saw the Nasdaq extend a four-session win streak. Right now, we continue to see the Nasdaq as the leader. The Nasdaq up just about a half a percent right now in the pre-market. The Dow also up right now, up about 30 points or so, uh, fractionally higher for the S&P 500. As always, we say it is early. We're also checking the bond market, the 10-year continuing its march higher, taking a look at the benchmark right now at 4.68. You see the upward move here, big upward move over the last month. These yields moving higher, something we'll talk a lot more about later on in the show. You can see that trend, though. We're also looking at energy, and you're going to see a different trend when it comes to energy. Oil extending recent losses after its worst day since August. Take a look at the WTI, WTI crude right now, up fractionally, but you can see here, Back below 90 bucks a barrel. You're seeing that move to the downside um, just a few days ago. It was above 90 bucks a barrel. But again, you're seeing the move. Still positive for the month, but back below 90 bucks a barrel. All right, that is your U.S. setup. We now want to send it over to Europe, opening up in the red after a very rough session overnight in Asia. Our Jamana Bersetchi is in our London newsroom with much more on the early action. Jamana. That's right, Frank. Well, European indices are searching for direction. As you can see behind me, it's a bit of a mixed bag. The stock 600 is coming off a six-month low. We reached that yesterday, the index ending the session down 1%. Today, we are seeing declines led by retailers, the likes of Boohoo, an online retailer posting a sales warning for the rest of the year. That's pulling down that part of the market. Miners also coming under selling pressure with the strength of the U.S. dollar. And one other part of the market that we're also watching closely is industrials as well, as we continue to grapple with the manufacturing doldrums facing the European continent. But the FTSE 100 in the UK is the outperformer today, up four-tenths of a percent, perhaps encouraged by the fact that the BRC retail prices have risen at the slowest rate for the year. That disinflationary trend is still intact. As for Asian markets that switch over, Hong Kong was actually open for trade, but we ended the session down 2.7 percent, pulled down by energy 
and real estate. Once again, the center of attention, the property market within uh, Hang Seng has been driving that market lower. Nikkei also in focus in Japan down 1.6%, 520 points lower. There, of course, we're still keeping a very close eye on what happens with the yen, dollar yen approaching 150, which people are saying is very close to getting the Bank of Japan to intervention levels. So we're also keeping an eye on that. And then finally, the Australian index down 1.3%. We did have the RBA meeting overnight. They did not hike interest rates, keeping them unchanged. Very similar statements to what we had before. But all in all, sentiment in Asia continues to be quite subdued. In fact, Asia-Pacific markets, ex-China, now at the lows of the year, Frank. All right, Germana, thank you very much. Our Germana Persecci, live in our London newsroom. All right, turning our attention back stateside. Stocks continuing to feel the pressure from surging Treasury yields, with a 10-year yield hovering right around 15-year highs. You can see right now, 468 J.P. Morgan says the uptrend shows treasuries are just disconnected from fundamentals and the unexpected deal to avoid a government shutdown is what's now driving yields higher, at least in the short term. Joining me now is Mark Anderson, chief investment officer and co-head of asset allocation at UBS Global Wealth Management. Mark, good morning. Great to have you here. Good morning, Frank. All right. So uh, we're kind of in a situation, at least according to J.P. Morgan, where good news is bad news. Avoiding that shutdowns, driving yields higher, according to their research. Do you agree with that thesis that that Deal to avoid a shutdown is right now, currently, the primary catalyst for yields to move higher. I think it certainly has been. And the market is, is also moving a bit in the wrong direction, I think, on most of the data we're seeing. And I do agree that we are somehow a bit disconnected from the fundamentals. So if we look at something like inflation, which should have been the core driver of yields we saw it earlier this year when we saw surprises on the upside on inflation, market is somehow um, dis- dismissing those kind of data points. So if we look at three-month angelized moves on core PC, we have 2.3%, which is something that should put the Fed in a mood to think more about the rate cuts. But at the moment, it's really the strength of the U.S. economy, the avoidance of this shutdown, which is pushing yields higher. All right. So one thing we're watching in the United States is inflation and how that's going to impact the Fed's decision. In fact, Fed Chair Jay Powell uh, in rural Pennsylvania talking to small business owners, getting a bit of an earful about these higher rates. We're also seeing on the markets the Russell 2000. That's our small cap index here in the U.S. uh, in correction territory right now, 10 percent off of its lows. Do you believe that that still remains a leading indicator of a possible recession? I don't think we're going to see a recession in the U.S., but what I do think we're going to see is an economic slowdown. So what the yields are doing is essentially tightening financial conditions. And what we're seeing with the companies in the small cap index, they both have tighter financial conditions. That means higher rates are going to have to pay higher credit spreads. But also the availability of credits from the banks where we're seeing definitely tightening lending standards is something that's going to move a bit against us. On the other hand side, we're also starting to see some value in some of these stocks. So I think small cap looks attractively valued. We like some of the equity laggards in the U.S. So when we move outside of the searching seven stocks, we see the S&P 500 trading at 15 times, earning at a time where we still think we're likely to see a peak in yields very, very soon. And we do think there's a little bit of a Fed bluff in the sense that we we do think that they will cut uh, interest rates uh, next year on the back of inflation that is falling, an economy that will start to slow. And they know that they're putting in a restrictive territory and monetary policy at the moment. All right. So you say you're looking outside the magnificent seven stocks, but you're actually pretty bullish on these stocks, a basket that includes Google, NVIDIA, et cetera. So I'm just looking at some of your research right now. You say last year the total addressable market for 
Uh, AI co-pilots. Last year was about $2 billion. We know Microsoft's going to launch theirs on November 1st. But you're saying by 2027, just a few years from now, it's going to be $127 billion. So is that a reason to invest in these magnificent seven stocks today, despite their high valuations and the thought that we're going to see, you know, a lower and earnings, actual earnings decline this quarter? We do think there's opportunities in the AI market, and we think a lot about both the companies that are providing some of the infrastructure, but also the beneficiaries of it. But we do think it's worthwhile looking a little bit outside of some of the searching seven stocks as well. And that's both from a global geographical perspective. So we have a few companies in Europe, but in particular in parts of Asia, Taiwan, etc., that is very well exposed to these uh, AI-related uh, thematics but haven't really searched to the same extent. So there we see opportunities. We also like to think about some of the disruptions that's going to happen in different sectors. So we're thinking about um, a different, you know, it could be within industrials, healthcare, um, et cetera, education, where we're seeing some of these AI trends basically impacting the industry. So we think there's a wide range of opportunities to play, to play AI, but we do think there's more value at the moment outside of the searching sevens. All right, Mark Anderson of UBS. Great to see you as always, Mark. Thank you very much. All right, we're now going to turn our attention to Capitol Hill and some late-breaking news. Florida Congressman Matt Gates has officially introduced a motion to oust Kevin McCarthy as House Speaker just days after McCarthy brokered that deal to keep the U.S. government open. That move by Gates is just the latest in D.C. that plays in a Moody's warning last month over, quote, intensifying political polarization and also the future of the country's AAA credit rating. NBC's Bree Jackson joins me now from Washington with much more on the drama in D.C. Bree, good morning. Good morning, Frank. So House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is in the fight of his political life or for his political life. Trump ally Rep. Matt Gates filed a resolution to force a vote to oust McCarthy from the speakership. Now, this comes after McCarthy worked with Democrats to get a short-term funding bill passed to avert a government shutdown this past weekend. Now, during the past two weeks, Gates had warned that he would try to oust the speaker if he worked with Democrats to reach that deal. That short-term spending deal approved this weekend keeps the government open until November 17th. Now, the House must vote this week on McCarthy's future, and it has until Wednesday to do so. Gates says he has enough votes to remove McCarthy unless Democrats move in to save the speaker. Now, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy has remained defiant, saying he will survive. And during an interview, he even urged a vote saying, let's get it over with and let's start governing. Now, that's a sentiment that McCarthy also posted on the platform X, saying, bring it on, to which Gates replied, just did. So something to keep an eye out on is how Democrats play into uh, this vote, because it is unclear whether Matt Gates uh, has enough to actually get Speaker McCarthy ousted. Yeah, it's very interesting when we're talking about the leadership of, of you know, uh, the speaker role in the House. Sounds like they're pro wrestlers going back and forth. Some pretty interesting dialogue there on X. Free Jackson, it's always great to see you, by the way. Congrats for running the Berlin Marathon. Thank you. All right. Got more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, today is day one of the criminal trial. A former billionaire and founder of failed crypto exchange, FTX, Sam Bankman-Fried. We look at what's stake and what's on the agenda in just a moment. Plus, it's been a pretty hot opinion on this show in recent weeks, buying into consumer staples. We lay out the bull and the bear case for a sector that's under quite a bit of pressure when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? 
At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Shares of McCormick trending lower ahead of earnings this morning, adding to a more than 7% decline in just the last month. And McCormick, it's not alone in its stock struggles. ConAgra, Constellation Brands, and Lamb Weston seeing similar declines as they prepare to report their results. All of this adding to recent weakness for the consumer staple sector, which is underperforming the S&P year to date. But not everybody's giving up. Here, is, here with, his, with the bullish outlook, we have Matt Maley, chief market strategist at Miller Tabak. And joining us with a bear thesis, we have Scott Ladner, chief investment officer at Horizon Investments. Great to have you both here. Matt, let's kick it off with you. Uh, we've had a number of guests on the show in recent days really singing the praises of Staples. Um, why are you bullish right now on Staples in an environment where we're seeing higher for longer rates that seems to be weighing on the rest of the market? Well, I mean, part of it has to do with that, that issue of the entire market. As the, uh, you know, the, the biggest thing on, on a broad case is that we have a situation where you know, the stock market, I'm sorry, the bond market has been pricing in this thought of higher for longer uh, for six months now, and the uh, and the stock market has not, or it's just just starting to in, in, in recent days. So this, the uh, recent weeks, I should say. Uh, so we have a big divergence between what's going on with the bond market and the stock market, and whenever that happens, and to the degree that it has this year, uh, the stock, you know, that's usually resolved with the stock market coming down more. So I think people need to get a little bit more defensive. Uh, but but a lot of it also has to do with the, the technicals. We see the uh, XL uh, XLP. Uh, consumer staples ETF becoming very, very oversold. In fact, it's uh, the most oversold in, in, a, in a, a half a dozen years. And, uh, and the same thing with uh, some of these individual stocks, which are finally becoming a little cheap. I'm afraid. I, I do admit that the, the entire group is not exactly cheap, but there are some individual stocks that I do like here that are becoming uh, cheaper here. Uh, and uh, so uh, it's, it's a group that I think is going to become uh, do better uh, for the rest of this year after a very, very poor uh, six months. All right, Scott, I want to come over to you. You got the bear case. One thing I want to address with you right now is that right now we're hearing more and more people say you have to judge companies uh, by the qualities they have when it comes to margin, profitability. I'm looking at the staples. According to FactSet, 59 percent of staples in the S&P, they saw profit margin expansion last quarter, second only to communication services. If we're seeing margin expansion, why are you so bearish on the staples right now? Well, because, Frank, you have to figure out, like, why are margins expanding? And in the case of staples, like they love inflation. So you know, if you have a, if you have a commodity driven good, if you have kind of consumer staple driven good, and you have a lot of inflation, you can pass that along to consumers. And with higher wages and with all the stimulus that got that got put in people's pockets, they can pay it. So you know, the, the the staples companies weren't really hurt on the input side of the equation in terms of in terms of inflation, but they were really helped out quite a lot uh, by 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 the output side, by the prices they could charge. So they could raise raise prices quite a lot, and that really helped their margins, which obviously led to a really nice year in 2022. But this year, and we think going forward, as we see inflation collapse and come down pretty sustainably, and, you know that 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 margin tailwind that we that, that you had when inflation was high is just no longer there. All right, 
Matt, I want to come back over to you again. I know you are very bullish when it comes to consumer staples. How big of a factor are dividends when it comes to this story? I'm looking at Kimberly Clark, for example, a 4% dividend. Do we see other, uh, you know, generous dividends when it comes to other consumer staple stocks? Yeah, you mentioned Kimberly Clark. I mean, one of its big competitors is Procter and Gamble, but its dividend isn't quite, dividend yield isn't quite as high. So that's that's why I like uh, uh, Kimberly Clark. Uh, but I also like Archer Daniels Midland, uh, General, uh, General Mills. These are two stocks that are, are relatively cheap, or actually quite cheap. Uh, a lot of these names aren't, even though even though they're a lot cheaper than they were six months ago, they're still not necessarily cheap. Uh, but you look at Archer Daniels Midland, which sometimes people confuse the ticker with Advanced Micro Devices, a very different stock, obviously. Uh, but they pay a nice dividend of over three percent, almost four percent. Same with General Mills, and you know it's uh, you know with, with the short-term rates uh, at high levels, this may be not as, as important to some people as uh, it has been in the past. But I still think it's important. It pays you to wait uh, in a group that's fine, especially in these stocks that have finally become cheap. And uh, so I think they're a good play here and can be very important uh, in, in that respect. All right, Scott, back over to you with the bear case. So you mentioned that these stocks actually benefit from higher inflation. So. It sounds like you're in the, the soft landing camp right now, and you're saying if we're going to have a soft landing, it's time to jump off these stocks? Yeah, look, it, it, for, for staples to work, you need some sort of catalyst. You, like, you, need the, you need basically a bad economy catalyst, or you need a high inflation catalyst, or ideally both, if you really, if you really love staples. But you know, we just don't see either of those catalysts really coming through in the market right now. We, you know, we think that the market's seen this. That's why we've had such poor performance as a group uh, for, for some of these stocks uh, for, for the year to date. Um, but but you know if if you're not going to get the, the the bad economy catalyst you're going to get a soft landing if you're seeing inflation decline pretty you know pretty appreciably and pretty steadily uh, you know just the tailwinds that we have for these things are, are just gone so you you have to really, you have to look outside of the sort of the uh, you know the, the stocks that gain from the inflation trade you maybe you know maybe you look to a mall, uh, to a Walmart that is that is you know didn't really pass on as much, as much didn't need as much inflation to, to generate margins didn't need as much inflation to generate revenue gains you know something like that might work in, in an environment like this. Uh, but 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 really stay away from anything that needed inflation to, to maintain margins. All right, Matt Maley and Scott Ladner, it's great to have you both here with both the bear and the bull case for consumer staples. Thank you again. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, it's been one of the hottest stocks in the Magnificent Seven. And today, Microsoft may be giving investors even more reasons to pile in. we got the full story when we come back. Stay with us. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. All right. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Today is day one of the criminal trial of disgraced FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried, the latest chapter in his months-long downfall from the highest levels of the crypto stratosphere. Mackenzie Sagalos joins me now from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. Mac, I know you've been following this story very closely. What's the latest? Hey, good morning, Frank. Jury selection in the criminal trial of Sam Bankman-Fried kicks off at 9.30 a.m. in a Manhattan federal court downtown. Now, Bankman-Fried, who, remember, has been sitting in jail since August after having his bail revoked for alleged witness tampering, faces seven criminal counts related to the implosion of the crypto empire that he built. Those charges include wire and securities fraud, as well as money laundering. 
What prosecutors are saying is that the former FTX chief misused billions of dollars worth of customer money for things like personal purchases, such as buying more than $200 million worth of luxury real estate in the Bahamas. The government also contends that Bankman Freed was using these customer deposits to both cover bad bets that he made at his crypto hedge fund Alameda Research and to make $100 million in campaign contributions. All in, we're talking about more than $8 billion worth of FTX customer money that went missing. Bankman Freed has pleaded not guilty to all charges, but if convicted by a jury, he could end up in prison for more than 100 years. Frank? So, Mac, what else do we know so far about the trial? Where Will Sam Bankman-Fried testify, or do we expect some other star witnesses? So we're looking at a six-week trial with prosecutors expected to take a month to make their case. We don't yet know whether Bankman-Fried will testify, but the witness roster is expected to include his top deputies at FTX and Alameda, who also used to comprise his innermost social circle. That includes Bankman-Fried's ex-girlfriend and former Alameda CEO Caroline Ellison, as well as his ex-best friend from high school math camp, Gary Wang, who co-founded FTX. Both pleaded guilty in December to multiple charges and have been cooperating with the U.S. Attorney's Office in Manhattan for months. As for Bankman Freed's legal strategy, his lawyers have hinted at an advice of counsel defense. That's where they would say that he was following the guidance of FTX lawyers and didn't realize that what he was doing was illegal. Also worth noting, Frank, this is actually the first of two separate criminal cases against Sam Bankman-Fried. A second trial is slated for March 2024, and that will deal with additional charges brought after Bankman-Fried was extradited to the U.S. from the Bahamas. All right, Mackenzie Segala, it's great reporting as always, and great to see you. Thank you. Thanks, Frank. All right, as we head to break, CNBC is celebrating Hispanic heritage, sharing the stories of influential Hispanic business leaders with you. Here is Oceana Cruz's president, Frank Del Rio, Jr., as a first-generation Cuban-American, both of my parents were born in Cuba, migrated here to the U.S. Uh, uh, for political reasons. Growing up in Miami, uh, the cultural melting pot that it is, uh, was, was always a, a, a comforting feeling because uh, I always felt like I was surrounded by uh, folks that understood my heritage and understood the dynamics of my culture. And uh, now that I'm able to raise my own kids uh, here in Miami, uh, it, it, it's really nice because we're able to really keep a lot of our own cultural heritage alive. Hey, it's right around 5.30 a.m. in the New York City area, and there's just a lot more ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck. Stocks fighting for gains at the open after kicking off the new month and quarter with relatively muted moves. Part of that pressure coming from the new wall of worry with borrowing costs, energy prices, and D.C. drama all top of mind. While those hurdles could be just too much for the Fed's soft landing ambitions. And the reviews are in on one of Microsoft's AI offerings, what early users are saying about this product and whether or not it lives up to the hype. It's Tuesday, October the 3rd, 2023. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start the day. As always, to pick up the half an hour with the check on U.S. stock futures. Take a look. We're in the green across the board, just off the highs of earlier, but still in the green across the board. We're also watching the Russell 2000. It turned negative for the year in yesterday's session. Take a look right here. You see the final downside move, but the trend started all the way back here in August. Uh, you can see it's down just, it's fractionally for the year, but still negative for, you, for the year. 
This is important because this index is believed to give a real-time look at the state of the U.S. economy and a dip into the red. It could signal declines for more stocks later this year as economic conditions they catch up with the bigger companies. We'll dive more into the economy in just a moment. A big part of this whole story, of course, higher borrowing costs for longer. Take a look at the 10-year. That's the benchmark hovering right around 15-year highs right now at 4.689. Also, always important to note, the two-year yield back above 5% right now at 5.1%. All right, higher borrowing costs, just one factor in Wall Street's growing wall of worry and the increasing debate around whether or not the Fed can pull off a soft landing or if a recession is coming. In addition to borrowing costs, investors also grappling with ongoing labor strikes across a number of industries, the, price in, the rise in oil prices, millions of Americans resuming student loan payments in coming weeks, and the U.S. government delaying into next month the negotiations for a longer-term funding deal. There's also the question about whether Jay Powell and the Fed still have another rate hike in their pocket before this year wraps up. For more on whether a soft landing or recession is on the horizon, let's bring in Stephen Whiting, City Global Wealth Management Investments Chief Investment Strategist and Chief Economist. Aditya Bave, Senior Bank of America, or excuse me, Bank of America Senior U.S. Economist. Aditya, good morning. Great to have you here. Also, Stephen, great to have you here. Aditya, I'm going to start off with you. Good morning. You actually recently changed your recession call just a few weeks ago. What led you to change your mind on your outlook? Right. So we're now forecasting a soft landing for the U.S. economy. We still do see a material slowdown in growth from the current pace. We have it at 0.7 percent next year, which is pretty close to a recession, but it's not quite a recession. And a couple of things led us to change our outlook. The first one is the resilience in consumer spending. And the second is the upside surprises in business investment, along with this idea that the recessions have really rolled across the most rate-sensitive sectors of the economy, with autos being hit first, then housing, and now those rate-sensitive sectors sort of finding a bottom at this point. Okay. So, Stephen, I want to come over to you. Uh, you believe we're in a period of economic downturn. We're just showing our wall of worry, a number of factors that are weighing on the economy. Do you see one of those clearly turning to the downside and giving us a clear sense of whether or not we're in a recession? So all of those are issues that are now going to contribute to a, a deeper slowing in the economy. I would not look for a period that's going to conform to a traditional recession, sort of a collapse in everything all at once. Um, we think that we've been going through rolling recessions and that that will extend particularly to employment in the coming year. Uh, but this is not going to be a, a collapse in the traditional sense. We've already been growing below trend, as your other speaker just said, We've had a 21% decline in residential uh, construction investment thus far. Manufacturing is contracted for a full year. So is trade. So it's asynchronous. We'll have slowing in the services sector, which has just been rebounding from COVID uh, to new highs. Um, these are things that, again, will be quite material, especially for employment. But in the end, we don't think that this is going to show up as a period of just a drastic rise in unemployment uh, and a, a full year decline in GDP. Okay, so if we don't see a decline in GDP and we don't see higher unemployment, then what makes it a recession, rolling or otherwise? It's contractions and getting things out of the way that normally happen in recessions and just taking a longer period. Uh, it's unfortunate because many investors just would love to have a period that's clear as day, where you have a collapse like a 2020, 15% uh, unemployment, and suddenly all of your macroeconomic risks are behind you, and you can have a powerful growth year like the 6% growth year of 2021. That's definitive and clear. 
It's unfortunate it's not going to be that clear. But two years of below-trend growth, a rise in unemployment, if more gradual, all of that would be very much the same uh, effect as having a short, uh, shallow recession over six months. All right, so Aditya, back over to you. You see a 0.7% GDP growth over the next 12 months right now. You're in the soft-ish landing camp, but you also believe that the UAW strike student loan payments could, could factor in and, and possibly maybe even change your outlook again? So those are downside risks to fourth quarter GDP. In terms of the student loan payments, the sooner you see the impact, the less impact you'll see going forward, right? So we see it as a relatively modest hit to GDP, whether it happens all in one quarter or it gets dragged out over four quarters is still an open question. And then on the UAW strikes, mechanically, whatever effect they have on inventories gets paid back in the first quarter as well. So if they do create some risk to the fourth quarter, and maybe that means that the Fed doesn't end up doing that last hike in November. But in terms of the broader economic outlook, unless you really get a protracted strike that really has knock-on effects onto other sectors, which is not our base case, unless you get that, I don't see this as a long-lasting hit to the economy. All right, Stephen, coming over to you. Let's talk about energy prices. Oil easing off of its highs of just a couple of days ago was uh, above 90 bucks a barrel for WTI, but still elevated for the year. How does that play into your thesis? Now, certainly this rebound in headline inflation, this drag on consumer incomes, all of this will contribute to a retail slowdown. And if you think about the conditions that we have right now, this inverted yield curve, tight monetary policy can leave you subject um, to, to shocks you are uh, in a weaker state in the event that you absorb a shock. Now, these are familiar ranges on energy. This is not like early 2022 uh, with the invasion of Ukraine. We moved up very abruptly, uh, and we had real question marks about the availability of supply. Uh, but this, again, does not help at this particular moment. It is, um, again, extending that drag on incomes. But we benefited a lot already from taking consumer income from uh, down as much as headline inflation has from the peak of 9% to the recent low of 3%. And that did a lot to take already recessionary consumer confidence um, out of that really weak position. So I think it's going to be a slowdown. It's just not going to be uh, as abrupt uh, unless the oil price, unless we had another uh, global shock. Adi, I'm going to give you the last word. Um, just a few days ago, we were talking about the possibility of $100 a barrel oil. That doesn't seem as likely now, but uh, rising oil prices, rising energy prices in general, if they continue to rise, does that change your thesis at all? It adds yet another drag to the fourth quarter. So as Stephen said, where we are right now, it's a little bit of a drag on the consumer. I don't think it's backbreaking. You can see that in, in the consumer sentiment figures as well. You look at inflation expectations. They picked up a little bit, but they're fine, basically. Okay. They're within the ranges that we've seen. If you do get a significant further increase, though, it's really going to depend on how the rest of the consumer basket plays out in terms of inflation to see the overall okay. impact on the consumer. But it's definitely something we're watching. We'll have for. to see how it all plays out. Stephen Whiting and Aditya Bave, great to have you both here. Thank you. Thank you. All right, time now to get a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Silvana Hanau is here with those. Silvana, good morning. Hey, Frank. Good Tuesday morning to you. All right. Meta Platforms is reportedly exploring a new business model for Instagram in the EU. Now, according to The Wall Street Journal, the company is weighing whether or not to charge users as much as $14 a month for access to ad-free versions of Instagram and Facebook. And this decision stems from a 390 million euro fine earlier this year from Ireland's Data Privacy Commission 
saying that logging into Facebook is not consent for the platform to send users ads. Ford and General Motors announcing a new round of layoffs as the UAW strikes enter their third week. Late last night, Ford says it idled two factories that supply parts to an assembly plant in Chicago where workers are currently on strike and let go roughly 330 employees. GM says it was forced to lay off 130 workers at a plant just outside Cleveland and sent home another 34 at a factory in central Indiana, all tied to the ongoing strikes. Now 25,000 UAW members strong. And Boaz Weinstein and his group of high-profile investors, including Bill Ackman and Mark Lazary, are reportedly sweetening their offer for Sculpture Capital Management. It's the largest U.S. publicly traded hedge fund with more than $30 billion under management. According to Bloomberg, the group presented an offer of $13 a share that's up from its previous $12.76 offer. Sculpture agreed in late July to sell itself to Rhythm Capital, for about $639 million, Frank. All right, I can see uh, Sculptor right now up big, up more than 6%. Yeah. Silvana, thank you very much. Great yeah. to see you. All right, turn our attention to big tech. Microsoft's AI assistant for its office suite is still several weeks away from officially going on sale, but a number of testers, they've gotten their hands on it as the tech giant looks to get a leg up in the AI arms race. Our Steve Kovac spoke with some of those who tried out the co-pilot and joins us now with their reactions. Steve, good morning. Hey, Frank. Yeah, so look, all year, everyone's been asking, besides NVIDIA, can anyone generate meaningful sales directly from the AI boom? Well, Microsoft is about to try about a month from now with the launch of its AI assistant co-pilot, for business customers. Now it costs $30 per user per month, nearly double what companies are already paying for a Microsoft 365 subscription that includes apps like Teams, Outlook, and Word. Now questions investors are asking, is it worth that steep price? Microsoft has some customers testing an early version of Copilot ahead of the launch. I caught up with Kate Johnson, CEO of Denver-based Lumen Technologies, 300 of her employees have been using Copilot for over two months now. Take a listen. What I see is the potential for breakthrough productivity. I really feel like you, with the pace of diffusion of AI, it's now or never. You wait, you're going to get left behind. Now, I also spoke with one Lumen employee who told me Copilot allowed him to be in two places at once and even catch up on meetings he missed. Before I was using Copilot, that would have taken me probably a couple hours. It, it took me three minutes to be able to interact with Copilot in, in a Teams meeting uh, and bring that information current. Now look, the pressure is on to sell that experience we just heard about to more than 300 million users across Microsoft 365, especially as companies are tightening their IT spending. I also caught up with Microsoft's VP in charge of 365 business apps, Jared Spatero, on how he's pitching Copilot. We don't say, think of this as an addition to your IT spend. We say, think of this as a way of literally revamping all of your processes in your company. Most customers are very interested in productivity gains. They're very interested in what it can do to create value. And so we're going to start there. Now, look, more competition is coming. Google is working on similar AI tools for its productivity apps like Google Docs, and it'll cost the same as Copilot. No launch date yet. But Daniel Mewis Newman, an analyst at Futurum, tells me Microsoft has entrenched lead over Google. I actually believe Google will continue to be the leader in search 
and Microsoft will continue to be the leader in these productivity tools. And that while maybe you'll see a few customers uh, jump over the fence over time, I don't think that this so much compels the switching as much as it does really lock customers in. Now we'll have to see what happens. Microsoft says sales from Copilot won't really kick in until later in 2024, Frank. All right, so a lot to unpack here, Steve. So first off, you mentioned there's a lot of competition. We actually had SAP CEO on the show last week. They launched their AI Copilot. We also had a guest earlier in the show from UBS that said the market for AI Copilot is going to go from $2.2 billion last year to $127 billion in 2027. So I think the real question here is how big is the market for this Microsoft AI Copilot? Do they already have a sense or are there pre-orders? Do they have a sense of how much demand is really out there? Yeah. So uh, at the event where they uh, Microsoft announced this availability, they said we have a waiting list. We've never had a waiting list for one of our office products before uh, for this early testing program that they have going on. And general availability is coming up. But look, there at last we heard there were at least three hundred forty five million users on Microsoft 365. That's individual people using it within companies. 30 bucks per month times all that. That's over at least potentially assuming all those go for it. That's more than nine billion per month in uh, new sales for Microsoft, potentially, Frank. Yeah, big revenue bump there. Yeah. I know it doesn't get launched on November 1st. If you get to try it out before November 1st, Steve, you got to come back on. I will. You sure. Right. Steve Kovac, great reporting as always. Thank you very Thanks. much. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, the march towards $100 a barrel oil, taking several steps back on a few fresh headwinds. We go live to Abu Dhabi with what top energy executives and leaders are saying about crude's price path forward. we got that and much more when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It's time now for your morning call sheet. We begin with Evercore raising its rating and price target on Warby Parker, moving it to outperform and $20 per share. Evercore says it sees a fundamental inflection story based on product and marketing developments and an attractive risk-reward outlook. Taking a look at shares of Warby Parker. They're up one and three-quarters of a percent in the pre-market. we got another upgrade for you, this time from UBS on Warner Music Group, moving its rating to buy and a price target of $37. UBS saying it sees WMG as a long-term beneficiary of secular industry trends in music, and the recent pullback in the stock is now a buying opportunity. Shares of Warner Music Group up more than 2%. And KeyBank raising its price target on NVIDIA. Speaking of AI and AI co-pilots, hiking it from $670 to $750, $750 per share, setting prospects for continued strong demand and growth in the year ahead. Shares of NVIDIA right now up a third of a percent. And it's time now for your global briefing. We begin with news out of China. Evergrande surging as much as 42% today before pairing those gains after shares of the Chinese property developer. They resumed trading in Hong Kong. They have been suspended since Thursday. Following a Bloomberg report, the company's founder and chairman was under police surveillance. Australia's central bank keeping rates on hold for a fourth straight month. But the RBA is warning again Further tightening may be needed to tame inflation. Australia's benchmark index, the ASX 200, closing at a more than six-month low. Also, check out the Russian ruble, pushing below 100 to the U.S. dollar at one point today, edging even closer to its all-time low. The ruble has been steadily weakening since late last month. In mid-August, Russia's central bank had to step in to stabilize the currency, hiking its key interest rate to 12%. All right, sticking with the global picture right now, we continue to watch the price of oil. The worldwide benchmark Brent falling sharply off its recent highs and coming off its worst day since August. As energy investors fear, higher for longer rates will pump the brakes on global energy demand. 
Let's get to our Dan Murphy, live from the Adipec Conference in Abu Dhabi, speaking with some people who know a thing or two about oil. Dan, good morning. I feel like just a week ago, we were talking about the possibility of $100 a barrel Brent crude. Indeed, Frank, and it is still very much on the agenda. Good morning to you and good afternoon from the Middle East, where we are coming to you from the largest oil and gas conference held each year in the region, ADAPEC. It brings together key executives from right across the oil and energy value chain. But you might be surprised to learn that the focus of conversation here hasn't necessarily just been about oil and gas. The focus is on decarbonisation, and that's because we're here in Abu Dhabi in the UAE, which is going to be hosting COP28 in November, that critical climate event that's going to bring together world leaders to discuss the overall energy transition and the decarbonisation agenda. So that's been a primary focus here. But of course, oil still on the boil. And I've had the opportunity to speak with the OPEC Secretary General, Haitham Algais. He weighed in on what the fourth quarter is going to look like for these markets. And at the same time, also weighed in on this feud, if you wanted to call it that, between OPEC and the IEA on their forecasts. OPEC and the IEA have a disagreement of sorts when it comes to when we are going to see peak fossil fuel demand. The IEA saying 2030. OPEC says that's nonsense. Here's why. We respect the IEA uh, fully, of course. Uh, the projections are that fossil fuel demand will peak by 2030. So let me ask you this and the audience this. This is less than six, seven years from now. Fossil fuels demand has been at 80% for the last 30 years. It hasn't changed in 30 years. And again, goes back to our earlier discussion about the availability of critical minerals, the availability of everything required to move the whole energy system from a fossil fuel-based energy system to a renewables and all of the above, because this is critical. OPEC Secretary General, Haitham al there. So the OPEC view is that there needs to be investment in fossil fuels to guarantee energy security and supply. The IEA says fossil fuel investments have to stop to keep 1.5 alive. Frank. All right. Dan, great to see you. Dan Murphy, live from Abu Dhabi. Thank you very much. All right. Ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, we have the one word that every investor needs to know today. And stocks looking to hit the reset button on the new month and the new quarter. The moves that you need to make with your money in the day ahead. Coming up right after this break. Stay with us. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It's time now for your WEX wrap-up. We begin with Congressman Matt Gates formally launching a vote to oust Kevin McCarthy as House Speaker. Gates filing a motion to set up a vote in coming days that even he says may not have enough support to remove McCarthy as Speaker. Visa announcing will invest $100 million in AI startups. The company says it will specifically focus on applications that, quote, will impact the future of commerce and payments. Tesla scoring a legal victory in his court battle against a group of vehicle owners. A judge's rule that the group must pursue claims uh, that the company misled about its autopilot features in individual arbitration rather than court, meaning Tesla will not have to face class action claims on this matter. The Wall Street Journal reporting that TikTok's parent company ByteDance pulled in $6 billion in profit during the first quarter of this year, compared to an operating loss of $7 billion back in 2021. Meanwhile, TikTok confirming it is testing an ad-free subscription tier in a market outside of the U.S. And the NFL feeling the Taylor Swift effect. Sunday night's Jets-Chiefs game would feature the singer in the crowd rooting for Travis Kelsey, tight end for the Chiefs. That was the highest rated Sunday NFL game since last year's Super Bowl. So Swifties out there support. 
All right, turn it back to the markets right now. We're checking U.S. stock futures. Important to know right now, the Nasdaq, just a short time ago, turned, oh, now it's back positive. It was negative just a short time ago after being fractionally higher. So this after Wall Street struggled out of the gate to kick off October and the fourth quarter. Let's bring in Sylvia Jablonski, co-founder, CEO, and CIO of Defiance ETF. Sylvia, good morning. It's great to have you here. Good morning, Frank. Thank you so much for having me. So all morning long, we've been talking about rate pressure on the market. Um, how do you see rates moving higher right now? Um, impact in the market today, as I mentioned, the Nasdaq turned in, in the red just a short time ago. Now it's back positive. Yeah, so I, I think rates are going to be a nuisance for a little while longer. You know, when you start seeing rates at this level and, and you hear the head, you know, the Fed talking about being higher for longer and, and remaining hawkish and then looking at that 10 year, you know, that definitely impacts growth companies in particular. So I think for investors, you know, they start to think about looking at the mega caps, the companies with the strong balance sheets that aren't going to be as impacted as this in the short term. But longer term, you know, we have to sort of understand that we probably are towards the end of this rate high hiking cycle. Perhaps they stay higher for a little bit longer. But, you know, we had four cuts on the on the um, schedule for next year. Now that's down to two. But there are still cuts on the schedule for next year. So I think we're coming to the end of this um, rate nightmare, let's call it. <laughs> you know, you're not I've heard many times throughout this year doing this show mm -hmm. that we're at the end of this hiking cycle. So we'll have to see two more meetings later this year. Um, but you mentioned some weakness and some some very well capitalized stocks, um, mega cap stocks, which you're looking at stocks like Apple. So you say that right now, right now is a buying opportunity. I want to ask you why now, as we see these elevated rates, you don't think these stocks will continue to slide. Apple in particular has a number of other headwinds, including uh, possible restrictions in China. Yeah, and those are all great points. But I think that if you look at Apple, you know, it's it's fallen about 12% from its its peak performance this year. And it's a great story there. So actually, iPhone 15 sales are much better than expected. It looks like consumers are starting to upgrade to the more premium models. You know, they have billions of users that will, will then be captured into the Apple services ecosystem, which has incredibly high margins. The company's down to 26 times earnings versus, um, you know, 30 times. So there's a little bit of a discount there. And I think okay. that mega stock caps or mega caps are looking a little bit cheaper after this reset in August and September. Okay. Well, uh, with all this in mind, Sylvia, what is your WEX word of the day? Uh, my wax for the day is the October effect. So, you know, we shouldn't, it's, it's the month of Halloween, but we shouldn't be too spooked by October. So even though you had two major crashes in October, um, interestingly enough, October tends to be better than September. And actually some of the moneymaker, the biggest moneymaker happenings have happened in the month of October. So that's a move of 5% or more in the past. So I would expect that we could potentially get a year-end rally, but October might be a little bit better than last month and we might get some reprieve from some of the names that have fallen. All right, Sylvia Jablonski, great to have you. You say right now it might be in a buying opportunity when it comes to Apple, another mega cap, mega cap tech name as well, Amazon. Always great to see you. Thank you again. Thank you. All right, that's going to do it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. we got Squawk Box coming up next. Thank you for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 